So we're near the end of First Peter. So how do you say goodbye? About a week ago, my wife and I had to practice that. We took our second daughter, Bella, to GCU, also known as GPU, down in Grand Canyon in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we had to say goodbye to her. And the night before we left, we had a meal with all the other families. She has four roommates. So the other four families gathered with the kids and we had a meal. And all of the other four roommates are from Minnesota. You know why? Simple. In February, when it's minus 10 in Minnesota, they give them a flight from St. Paul to Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 85. And the kids say, sign me up, I'm going here. Super simple. So that's why there's four roommates from Minnesota. So we sit down, we're having this meal. And one of the girls, COVID kept moving the date out, but she had already made travel arrangements so she had actually left a month earlier. So they had said goodbye a month earlier. So my wife said, oh man, to the family, you must miss your daughter. The wife said, no, no, I don't. <laughs> and so my wife was like, oh, okay. Well, you're gonna miss her, right? No, no, we won't. <laughs> okay, all right, there you have it. We, on the other hand, it was an ugly goodbye. I mean, crying goodbye. And then for probably an hour after we left, Charity and I did not say a word because if we would have said a word, it would have been ugly all over again, right? Hard to say goodbye to a daughter. Like, why couldn't you go to like, I hate to say it. I won't say it. Why couldn't you have gone to a school in Oregon where you're close? Or <laughs> we can at least see you. Now you're 16 hours away, but it's your choice. Peter is gonna say goodbye. He does it brilliantly. This is what he does. He says, dress up, sober up, goodbye. Dress up, sober up, goodbye. Let's look at it. First Peter chapter five, verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, every single, not just elders, not just younger, not just men, not all of you with humil humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your cares or anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter says, clothe yourself in humility. I think you can tell a lot about the clothes, the person by the clothes that they wear. If you were to show me clothing without a face, I think I could guess about the age of that person. So if they're wearing Adidas sweatpants, probably a teenager. If they're wearing yoga pants with an 80s rock band oversized t-shirt, they're in their 20s. If they're wearing really comfortable shoes, 
there in their 40s because that's the first thing that starts hurting on you, doesn't it? And then it just creeps up your whole body. You're like, ah, my feet, and now everything hurts. If they're wearing Kirkland jeans, <laughs> they're in their 50s and they're a male. <laughs> wow, $12.99, I'll take five of those. Those are awesome. <laughs> they fit great. Love Costco. Five pack of jeans. If they're wearing great value sweatpants, they're in their 80s because it's all about comfort and they're like, I'm not spending a lot of money on these. I'm not gonna be here very long. Give me the great value ones. <laughs> Christians, you should be able to see a Christian because they are clothed, Peter would say, in humility. That is the clothing that you and I as believers are supposed to be dressed up in. Clothe yourself, all of you, in humility. So there's all these ideas that people have about humility. I'm gonna give you mine. Humility is a verb. It is an action, okay? And it is a hard one. Because here's the thing, it says, clothe yourself, humble yourself, right? Twice. I can't humble you. Only you can choose to be humble. Life can't even humble you. I know people that have gone through really, really hard things, done really stupid things, suffered the repercussions of them, and they're still the proudest men I know. Because even hard things in life can't humble you. It is a choice that you have to make by yourself. I am going to choose to be humble, right? You can't humble your spouse. You might be sitting there thinking, this is a great message for my wife, for my husband. Well, no, only you. You might want to. You have to humble yourself, and it can be hard. So Peter, in talking about this, might be reflecting upon an event that happened to him many years before. It's at the Last Supper. The disciples, it's the last time. Something Jesus has been saying, I can't wait to eat this with you guys. And while they're all there sitting around this table, they get into an argument. Guess what they are arguing about? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? They're in the presence of Jesus, and what are they arguing about? Who's the greatest? They're in the presence of Jesus, who with a Lunchable fed Merlin, and they're arguing who's the greatest. With a word, he's calmed a hurricane. He's walked on water. He's raised people from the dead. And they're arguing who's the greatest. You know what? I'm gonna go with that guy, not none of you guys. You 12, uh-uh, it's that dude, right? Now, what does Jesus do in that circumstance? Does he rebuke them? Uh-uh, because only you can humble yourself. He redirects them. He says, listen, guys, if you wanna be great, learn to serve. He makes it a verb. This is how you become great. You humble yourself through being a servant. So Peter now picks up this idea that humility is an action, and he gives us three ways that we can humble ourselves. Well, Matt, I don't think I wanna be humble. I'm proud of being proud. Keep reading, because it says God opposes the proud. When you're full of pride, you are the enemy of God. He's on the other side, you're on this side. You do not want that. But when you will humble yourself, you get his grace. You want to get God's grace. So rethink it. Three ways that you can action, verb out, humility. Number one, submission. 
Look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Number one, submission. I've said this before. I'm 48 right now. I look at my life. I try to evaluate my life. And I think right now at 48, I'm killing it. Doing super good. If I wasn't, I would change something. I'm not, that's just the way I live my life. If I'm not killing it, I'm gonna change something. But here's what I also know. I know when I was 25, I thought I was killing it at 25. But at 48, I look back on my 25-year-old self and you know what I think? Moron. That dude was a moron. What was wrong with him, right? So I'm guessing when I turn 55, I will look back on 48-year-old Matt and I will say, moron. What was wrong with that guy? Okay? So here's what I have. Knowing that, I have this great opportunity. I can listen to, learn from, read people that are 55 right now that are killing it and say, ah, that's what I want to be. That's where I want to go. I can be subject to people that are older and more mature than me, but requires submission. And submission is only submission when it's something I don't agree with. So I started seminary about 12 years ago. I finished it in 2016. Well, I started in 2012. I finished in 2016. And I went there already having a church, already kind of doing it successful, right? Things were successful for me. Um, Did it pretty good, you know? And I go there and they had these classes that I was like, really, I gotta take this? I've been a pastor for 10 years. Really, I gotta take this? Ethics class, spiritual disciplines, and then a class on church. I'm like, really? I said, I don't think I need these. And what Western said was, okay, then I don't think you need Western then. Okay, fine, I'll submit. So I had to sit in a class on church with 25-year-olds who told me how to do church. And I remember just thinking to myself, when they turn 35, they will look back on themselves and they will think, moron, <laughs> right? I had to submit to that. Not, didn't love it all, but you know what? I'm so glad I did because it changed me and I learned, and I grew. But it only happened by submitting and saying, okay, this is your system. And while I I could try to fight it, or I could just submit and say, okay, you might know more than me. You've been doing this a long time. I'll submit. And I'm so glad I did, because I learned, and I grew, and it changed me. That's what submission is. Okay, I'm gonna submit in this job, as a parent, as a child, whatever it is, I'm gonna submit. And I think you could also make the case here that this is for church, right? And there's submission in church to the elders, plural. So Edgewater is run by elders. There's no king here. I don't get to unilaterally make decisions. Like there are many people that I've wanted to hire or ideas I've had or advice that I've given that the elders have said, nah, we're not doing that. Now I know they'll figure it out. (laughs) No, I'm okay with that. I think that is the only way that church should be run plurality of leadership because it's safe and it's right and it's a way that it's been done for years. So I have submitted myself to this group and said, okay, if we don't agree, we don't do it. And that's the way we have run things from day one here, elders, but also individuals. Like individuals at some level, you have to say, okay, there's a church that I'm going to submit myself to. There's no perfect church, right? It doesn't happen. But you say, this is the place that God has me. This is as good as I think it can get right now. And I'm going to submit myself there. And even though I may disagree with some things, 
This is where God has me. I'm gonna stay there. I'm gonna be submitted to it. And trust that this is the way that God grows up humility in my life is through submission. So number one, action. Humility is an action. Number one, it's submission. And it's hard, no doubt about it. But man, it's good. Good fruit, you get God's grace. That's what you get. Number two action, patience. Verse six, humble yourselves again. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Patience. That there is a proper time for exaltation. And humility says, I'll wait for that. I'll wait for that. So a couple of weeks ago, I was telling Mark this story. Uh, it happened about two years ago. My wife, my two older daughters, and myself, uh, we poured this concrete slab. It was pretty big. It was like 30 by 20. So I needed my daughter's help. It was a Saturday morning. And they didn't want to help but they submitted to their dad and they did it. So they came out. But you know how when your kids don't wanna do something, they can kind of be out there and be a little edgy. So they're just a little edgy, my two daughters were. And they started kind of, for some reason, I don't even know how we got on this, but they said, dad, you're not very well known in Grants Pass. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Yes, I am. And I know when they're trying to get me when they start using my first name. Oh yeah, right, Matt, right, Matt, right? I'm like, whoa, right? So I should have just been like, yeah, you're right. I'm, no one knows me. Okay, keep working, right? But first, I just engage it. And we're kind of going back and forth, back and forth. And then out comes a concrete truck. The driver jumps out and he goes, well, if it isn't my pastor. I looked at my daughters and I just said, yeah, right? <laughs> And then he said, it's so good to see you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> yeah. And so my daughters went, yeah, see? I went, oh. <laughs> oh. When you start getting full of yourself, God will be like, oh, watch what I'm gonna do to you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> In due time. In due time. So I used to get these leadership magazines, they don't really send out magazines anymore. But early on, and they would tell like, here's how you promote yourself. Here's how you, how many tweets you should send out today. Here's how many Instagram posts you should have. Here's what you should be doing on Facebook. All this self-promotion. And I remember reading these leadership articles that were sent to pastors and just thinking, that's not right. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not gonna promote myself. I'm gonna obey what God has for me and trust at the proper time, he will exalt me. And that's the way I've chosen to do it. If God wants to exalt me, he's very capable to do that. And I'm just gonna obey what he has for me to do today in humility, trusting that whatever he wants to do, he can do it. If he wants to exalt me, I'll let him do that. So trust, right? It's patience. Part of humility is just, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you that you will lift me up when I'm supposed to. And until that comes, I'm just gonna do what you've told me to do. How many bad things have happened in your life because you were not patient? I wanna get married. I wanna get married now. Vegas, Elvis impersonators are witness. Pass out. Bummer. Divorce. I wanna be in ministry. I wanna be in ministry right now. I'm quitting my job. I'm gonna start a church. <laughs> Dude, hold on. How many things have happened in our life because we did not, 
in humility say, God, I trust you can lift me up in the due time. Patience, here's what patience does. Patience pulls you out of the enemy line of God and puts you in the grace line of God. That's what it does. I want God's grace. I don't wanna be opposed to him. I don't want him to oppose me. So I choose to say, all right, I will be patient and I will wait for you, God, to lift me up. Well, Matt, what do we do when we wait? Number three action, you pray. Look at verse seven. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Proud people do not pray. Do you know that? They don't have to because they got it made. They know what to do. They've got the wisdom. They've got the talent. They've got the skills. They've got talent alone for God. Are you kidding? I don't need to pray. I know exactly what to do. It's humble people that realize, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's gonna happen next year. I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. I need God's wisdom. Humble people pray. The best metric to measure your pride versus humility spectrum is how often do I pray? Because humble people know I have to pray. So Peter says, Cast all your anxieties on him. Anybody have anxiety in 2020? <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. 2020, election year, ah! The debate, how was the debate? Any anxiety there? I told Charity, we were watching it. Well, Charity wasn't watching it. She was like bouncing in and out. I said, you know what this is? This is like a kindergarten Zoom call, right? Donald, sit down. Donald, if you have something to say, raise your hand. Joey, pay attention. Joey, 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 pay attention. Right? <laughs> it's just insanity. Cast all your anxiety, right? We got tons of anxiety right now. COVID-19, what's gonna happen? I don't know. When's this gonna go away? I don't know. How much longer? I don't know. Makes me anxious. Home prices, they're through the roof. I feel like I'm gonna live in a van down by the river my whole life. What's gonna happen? I don't know. Tons and tons of anxiety. And when you let anxiety have its role in your life, you get grumpy, you get angry, you get digestive problems, you break out, you get cold sores, right? So what do you do with your anxiety? Do you medicate it? Because you follow these things. Alcohol use through the roof. Opioid use through the roof. Pot use through the roof. What are people doing with their anxiety right now? Medicating. Some people hibernate. They just stick their head in the sand. It's just all gonna go away. Well, I don't know if it will. It might get worse. I don't know. Some people relocate. Promised land. Northern Idaho. That's where I'm going. Right? You know what the Bible says? Pray. If you have anxiety, you are... I, as believers, we are supposed to pray. We're supposed to cast our cares on him because he is the burden bearer. That's what we're supposed to do, right? You can do more than pray, but you shouldn't do anything until you've prayed. That's a believer. God, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this situation is gonna turn into. So I am right now gonna humbly pray and seek your wisdom, James chapter one. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, 
but let that man ask in faith, nothing wavering, because he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. I'm asking in humility to get answers that I will obey. That's what James 1 is saying. And when you do that, God answers. He becomes your burden bearer. He's the one that says, I'll take this math. So what Peter is saying, Pastor Peter, at the end of his epistle is saying, listen, don't take this on yourself. Pray, pray. In humility, pray. That the costume of the Christian is to be prayer. So dress up and then sober up. Verse eight, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brilliant. Be sober. You have a roaring lion who wants to devour sheep. Chapter five began with shepherds feed the sheep, but there's a warning. Lions eat the sheep. So sober, be sober. It might be like this. My wife and I met this couple over in Brookings, Tyler and Casey. They moved down from Washington. Tyler is in the Coast Guard, young couple in their late 20s. And Tyler was stationed on the at Gold Beach on the Rogue River, and he was the guy that was monitoring the bar there because there's a bar to get out. So the morning of Labor Day, there's big waves coming in, so there's a small craft advisory. Any craft under 30 feet was not allowed out. So this guy calls up, he's got his brand new aluminum jet boat, you know, 500 horsepower, $100,000 boat. He's like, hey, I'm headed out. And Tyler's like, um, no, actually, I see your boat's too small. There's a small craft advisory. We think it's gonna lay down in about an hour and a half. It was 7.30 in the morning. We think by nine o'clock, you should be able to get out, no problem. The guy just said, yeah, I'm leaving, click. And he just takes off, right? And so they just watch him, he's gone. Well, about five hours later, he comes back. So Tyler, another Coast Guard guy, they go down and meet him on the dock. And Tyler said, all I wanted to do was get him sober up. Like, dude, this is a serious situation. If we have to be called out to rescue you, it starts at 50 grand. That's how much it costs taxpayers. So that's why we have these advisories, right? So he goes down there. He's just wanting to have a conversation with this guy. Gets down there. The guy is just a jerk. So Tyler's like, hey, you know, I talked to you on the radio and, and I, I warned you. He goes, look, I made it, man. I went out, I came back in. There's nothing to worry about, I made it. He's like, yeah, but you know, you got lucky and sometimes people don't get lucky and that's why we're here. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. You're not my boss anyways. He's like, actually, uh, I am. I'm the policeman of the waterways. That's what I am. And he just started getting really colorful. So Tyler said, okay, fine. I'm gonna write you a citation. 
So he starts writing a citation. And the guy just, you know, he's got money, whatever. He's like, don't worry, dude, I'll pay it right now. How much is it for? He said, this citation is for $10,000. Sober! <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> he just got sober. What? He's like, well, I wanna talk to your boss. He said, hold on a second. Oh, you are. I am the ranking officer right now in the Coast Guard. You're talking to him. He got sober in a hurry. Started trying to get out of it. He said, dude, five minutes ago, you would've got out of this. Now you're not. And, and, and I said, dude, can they go to a judge? Oh yeah. He goes, a judge never changes these because he knows how serious this is. 10 grand, grand, 10 grand of sober right there. Peter's like Tyler. His final charge is be sober. This is serious. We think it's a game. We think we got a $10,000 or $100,000 boat, we're fine. No, this is serious. We have a real enemy. It's not China, it's not Russia, it's not the government, it's not Democrats, it's not Republicans, it's not the ACLU. Our real enemy is the devil. And he's a roaring lion and he has one goal, devour you and me. And here's how he does it. His tool is sin. So Ephesians 4.27 says that sin gives a foothold. It's in the Greek topos where we get topography, right? A foothold, a toehold in the life of a believer. Sin does that. So what sin does is sin gives evil a stall in your head that releases the four horsemen every night. Be sober, be aware, because all they wanna do is trash everything that in your life that is good and holy and right. So what do we do? Verse nine, resist him. We're supposed to resist him. So Wednesday night, we are going through the book of Hebrews. And Dan taught Hebrews chapter three, and there's this great little phrase in Hebrews 3.13 that says that don't let your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That there's something with sin that's deceitful. So the enemy knows this. In order to get a believer, in order to get a stronghold, a foothold, a topos in the life of a believer, I can't go straight at him. I get some work to do. I gotta get him deceived first, right? So sin doesn't work like this. I'm gonna get a call from my wife and she's gonna say, hey, honey, on the way home, grab me some ink cartridges. And say, okay, fine. So I leave here and I head over to Staples and I pick up some ink cartridges and I'm walking out and some guy comes up to me and is like, hey man, want some black tar heroin? I'm not gonna be like, hmm, let me think about that. I've never done black tar heroin. Let me do a pro con here real quick. Hmm, cons, um, probably lose my job. Others will fire me. Mm probably lose my family because that seems to be a consistent theme with people that do drugs. Um, probably lose all my money because that also seems like a consistent theme with people that do drugs. Probably lose my health because that seems like a consistent theme. Uh, probably maybe even lose my life. Cons. Pro. It might be a very interesting hour and a half. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm be like, bro, no. <laughs> I don't need that. You need Jesus, right? There's, that's not how the enemy works. How's it work? Kind of like this. This happened many years ago. I think uh, Elijah was four years old, so we're talking years ago, almost 10 years ago. He wanted to watch motorcycle videos. So I got out my laptop and I typed in motorcycle racing. 
And so we're watching these motorcycle races. And then YouTube makes these recommendations, right? And so the next one was, hey, motorcycle jumping. I'm like, well, very cool. Let's look at motorcycle jumping. And these are these guys that can jump these motorcycles and they like get off the motorcycle in the air, have a cup of tea, get back on, and then they land. You know, you're just like, what in though? That is unbelievable. How did you do that, right? And then the next one was motorcycle jumping fails. Even better. They get off, have tea, and they wreck. You're like, yeah, right? And then the next one was this. Girls in bikinis riding motorcycles. You know what that was? Roar! That's what it was. Because what's the next one gonna be after that? And the next one gonna be after that? That's how the enemy works. The deceitfulness of sin. It's compromise. It's step by step. I have these guys that come and they go, hey man, I fell into adultery. I always call them on that. What do you mean? You're walking along, bang! Right? You wake up, you're not my wife, what happened? No, bro. It was text. It was Facebook. It was flirt. It was meat. It was a meal. You walked into it while God's spirit is begging you to stop. That's honest. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's what the enemy uses. He uses step by step by step by step. So what do we do? He says, stand firm in your faith. The whisper of the snake is this, take a break. You've been going hard, man. You've been doing so good. Take a break. Quit standing firm. Take a break. And we got examples in the Bible of guys that took a break. One of them, his name is King David. You read King David's story up to 2 Samuel 11. It is brilliant, right? He doesn't make a mistake. He kills Goliath and just go. He's the greatest king ever. And then 2 Samuel 11 begins by this. At the time when the kings go to war. What was David? He's a king. What time was it for kings? War time. It says David stayed home. You know, I've been fighting battles for a long time now. Get a little, my feet are hurting. Shoes aren't very comfy. I'm gonna stay at home. He's at home. He's walking on his roof. Looks over. Sees a woman taking a bath. When he should have been engaged in battle, he's being entertained by Bathsheba, commits adultery and murders her husband. At the times when the king's should have been at war. He was disengaged. That's what the enemy does. Peter, our guy, Jesus warns him, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. He's coming after you, Peter. So Jesus invites Peter, Matthew 26, come and pray with me. What does Peter do? He falls asleep. <sighs> Tired. Falls asleep. Takes a break. The only problem is when the whisper of the snake is take a break, he doesn't. He doubles down. He doubles down like he did with David, like he did with Peter, like he does with you and with me. Ah, you don't need church. Ah, you don't need a community group. Ah, you don't need to read your Bible. Ah, you don't need to pray. Ah, you don't need Wednesday night. Ah, you don't need it. Stand firm. How do you stand firm? He says this. 
Verse nine, resist him, firm your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, this group of people. Verse 12, his goodbye. By Silvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting, declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who was at Babylon, the church Peter was a part of, who's likewise chosen, sends greetings to you. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Right? So the pattern for the church from the first 300 years was actually in church. You would greet each other with a kiss. Did you know that? They outlawed it in the fourth century. Well, they changed it, I should say, in the fourth century because it got out of control. <laughs> There's a little too much kissing going on. And so it became only men could kiss men and women could kiss women. Right? They took all the fun out of church for people. <laughs> right? These verses are saying one thing. Stay in community, brotherhood, community, church, know each other, be intimate with each other in the best sense of the word, right? Stay, stay. Don't lag out. There's examples of that. Deuteronomy 25, 18. When the 12 tribes were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, what would happen was this. They'd be called to pack up and they'd pack up all their stuff and they'd move to a new location, and when they did, there were certain families that just didn't quite get it together fast enough, right? They're always late. And so they didn't pack up quick enough. Their kid was off. They couldn't find him. He got dirty. They had to give him a bath, whatever. And so they were late. And they were called the lagging crew. And what happened was the Amalekites came and just picked them off, devoured them. Because they weren't with the crew. They didn't stay connected. They got separated. But there's another crew, the Levites. Levites served, and every time that they would camp, it says the Levites camped closest to the tabernacle where the visible, tangible presence of God was. They were closest. They stayed close. And they succeeded. What are you? What am I? Am I lagging? Am I dropping back? Because I'm not standing firm. Remember the brotherhood. Remember, that's what you need. We need people linked arms with us, helping us. Remember the brotherhood. Camp close to the king. And then remember number two. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. Where does grace come from? All grace comes from God. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, what is God gonna do for you? Restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. How brilliant is that? Titus 2.13 says it's the grace of God that trains us to say no to ungodliness. It's God's grace that moves us and transforms us, that makes us say, I don't want that garbage. I want holiness. I want him right? And he, I have this word circled in my Bible because it's so important. He himself will restore. Joel 2.25 puts it like this. God will restore the years that the locust have devoured. You have times in your life where you're like, man, that was just a waste of a year or two years or 10 years or a decade. And what, what are you going to do with that waste? Joel 2.22, 2.25. 
God says, I'll restore it. I'll restore it. Here's the best example I have of that. So I went to OSU, become a mechanical engineer. Um, in high school, um, everyone told me, hey, you're gifted, because I could just math, science, super easy for me. Like I, I could do my math assignment in five minutes and turn it in and get A's, no problem. So told I was gifted, right? So I go to OSU, and then what happens is, in the engineering program at OSU, everybody's gifted, right? I'm just average now, and it showed in my grades at a 2.0. So sophomore year, my guidance counselor calls me and says, listen, he's a professor, engineering professor. He goes, listen, Matt, I looked at your grades. There's not a chance you will ever get into the pro school at Oregon State University. Because what you do is you do all your prereqs and you apply to the pro school to finish your engineering degree. And he goes, never. Even if you got straight A's from this day forward, you would not bring your grades up enough to ever get in. He goes, you got two choices. Number one, change your major. Number two, apply to Montana State University. They take students like you. What a rip, huh? You're a loser. Montana State University takes losers. All right. <laughs> so I left there and just didn't know what to do. So the summer between the end of my sophomore year and the beginning of my junior year, I had an, uh, an amazing encounter with God. Changed my life. Transformed my life. It's why I am who I am today. Transformed me. And I remember praying, okay, God, I want your wisdom. Should I go to Montana State University? Should I do something different? Should I change my major? And I felt there was no burning bush. There was no voice. My dog didn't speak to me. I just felt impressed on my heart. Keep it up. Keep it up. Do what you're supposed to do. So I went back, finished up that, my junior year, and grades radically different. Radically different, right? Apply to the pro school, get denied. So I went and got an application to Montana State University for losers like me. <laughs> my mom, though, intervenes. She calls, somehow gets a conversation with the dean of engineering at OSU. She begins to spill her case. The dean's like, listen, lady, I get these calls all the time. There's nothing I can do. It would be unfair if I did anything. She said, would you do one thing for me? Would you just look at his transcript? Okay, fine. So he gets it. He's like, whoa, what happened? I've never seen something like this before. Go from that you know, straight C's to straight A's. What in the world happened? And she just said, would you talk to my son? So I got a call from the dean of engineering at OSU. Normally, I'd be very fearful of that meeting. This time, I'm stoked. So I walk in there. He goes, I've been looking at your transcript. I haven't seen something like this. What happened? And I said, Jesus. Jesus got a hold of my life, transformed me, and I am a different person now. And he said, well, I don't know about any of that. But I can't argue with this, you're in. God took my stupidity, my stupidity, my plane, I just didn't go to class, took my stupidity and used it for his solution. He restored it, he used it. That's the God we serve, that's the God we serve. Are there moments in your life where you just feel, man, God, I wish you'd restore that. He can, the God of all grace, Peter says, no matter what, don't forget this. The God of all grace, who can restore, who can confirm, who can strengthen, who can establish, don't forget that. And then he says goodbye. So we, every Sunday, we take communion. Because communion to me is verse 10. Remember the God of all grace. The God who can restore 
Maybe there's something fresh in your life right now where you're like, oh, I blew it. It's a black eye. He can give back what the devourer has eaten in your life. He's the only one that can do that. Maybe you feel like, man, my faith is not firm right now. I'm shifting all over the place. He's the one that strengthens, establishes. So I want you to take for a moment before we receive the elements of communion, I want you to just take a moment Maybe there's an event that's been plaguing you. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a stupid mistake. Maybe it's a weakness. Where you're saying, I need restoration. I need strength. I need my faith to be firmed up. I want you right now to whisper, before we take the bread, whisper a prayer. Cast that anxiety upon him because he cares for you and say, I need you to work in this situation. I've tried everything. I'm exhausted. I can't. Help me. So take a moment. Jesus, thank you that your brokenness brings us restoration. Thank you that you bore on the cross our weakness, our stupidity, our sin, evil. Thank you that your promise to us is now Joel 2.25, that you will give us back the years that have been devoured. And so I ask as we eat today, I pray for restoration in our lives, strength, establishment. I pray that our faith would be firmed up by your spirit as we take this through faith. Let's eat together. Thank you for the cup. The cup of forgiveness, the cup of cleansing. The cup of, let us reason together, though your sins were like scarlet, they've been made white as snow. The cup of, old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. The cup of acceptance, that we are now acceptable to the Father because of your blood that covers us and cleanses us. And so I ask as we drink this today that we would hear from you even in this moment. You would be saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That we would know that. We are sons and daughters of the king. That we get to come to the feast that you prepared for us. So may we drink forgiveness. Forgiveness 
cleansing, your unconditional acceptance. Now unto him that's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless on that day, be the glory. May we drink that, I pray. Let's drink together. Amen. So after every service, we offer prayer up here. If something's been causing you anxiety, come get prayer. The book of Galatians 6, 1 says that we get to bear one another's burdens. Sometimes there's things that are too heavy for one person. And that's where the brotherhood, the sisterhood comes in. And so we'd love to pray for you, come up. We offer baptisms every Sunday. Baptism does not save you. It just confirms what's already inside of you. That's all it is. You've already believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has been raised from the dead. And this is a way of saying, I'm confirming that. And it transformed my life when I got baptized as a 20 year old. It changed me. It made tangible what I already knew happened inside of me. And so we offer baptism, be baptized. Maybe today is the day where you say, yeah, yep, I'm confirming my faith. If you're doing well, be thankful, be grateful. Pray this week, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Would you stand for one final song?